Blog Talk Radio. This episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio is brought to you by Gamers Inn, where adventure begins. Check out their website at gamersinlehigh.com. Broadcasting live from the DCR studio. Oh, yeah! The Geek Revolution starts here. Excellent! Get ready for the number one hit geek radio show out there. Well, it is impressive, isn't it? Because it's time for Dungeon Crawlers Radio. All right, everyone, welcome to another amazing episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Uh, we uh, are waiting for Savart and uh, Scotty to be calling in. Uh, they're trying to find the number. Uh, but it, as always, we got Tyrannus with us. And then we got Kynan Griffin and Jason, it, it's Fowler, correct, uh, with Aerostorm Entertainment in uh, this evening to talk about Mythica and all the other amazing stuff from Aerostorm Entertainment. But more importantly, the amazing Kickstarter campaign that kicks off next week for uh, Mythica Darkspore, correct? That's right. All right, which is the uh, the second of the of the series. Yeah, we uh, we had a great time uh, on Kickstarter with the mm-hmm. first film, and uh, it was uh, a lot of fun to chat with all the fans of the series, which we were able to to uh, meet and generate through that initial Kickstarter campaign, and they've now all been shipped there. Their movies, and we've got a ton of feedback from them, so we're excited to launch the second installment in that series. Nice. Now, how many installments do you guys plan to do? Because I know it's kind of in the air, roughly, isn't it? Or well, plan to do is uh, is is five. Okay. Uh, five installments, five five movies. Um, um, planning to do with a with a set schedule is is in the air, but we have a third one shot. Oh, nice! And, uh, and the fourth and fifth are in development. So, so when we'll shoot those is is up in the air, but the third one shot, and that one will be coming out uh, later this year. So, oh, that and, soon? That, yeah, wow, moving fast. That that is pretty impressive. So, are you guys finding it a lot of fun being able to film like different fantasy type locations? Be- being here in Utah, because I mean we have a ton of different terrain that allows for that. Yeah, I say that. Uh, I often say that if you want a place to not feel like Earth, yeah. or you want it to be fantastic or otherworldly, um, there's kind of no better place than Utah. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, we went from uh, high snowy mountains to like sand dunes and desert, like one day to the next wow. as we filmed. So it was pretty awesome that way, where you. Freezing to death, and then you and St. George yeah. playing in the water. So is it – now, when you guys film, you guys don't film, like, in succession. You guys are bouncing all over the place depending on weather and stuff like that, correct? Um, partly. We we shot all three of these back-to-back. That's okay. why the post-production for all three of them is, is somewhat overlapping. Um, but we the sh- the scenes themselves are mixed up, right? Yeah. So. We try to shoot like all of movie one and then all of movie two and then all of movie three with 
some overlapping in between if it was a shared location. Okay. Um, that didn't always work out. We kind of shot all of one, then some of movie two, then all of movie three, then came back a bit for movie one and movie two. So, okay. you know, it was a little chaotic in yeah. the scheduling, but... I remember, you know, we came out on set and saw some stuff, and I mean, even that, because we, we pulled up and it's like this old beat-up garage. I'm like, what in the world are they going to do here? And then we go in and you guys built this tavern that looked amazing. I mean, I it it rivaled anything you'd see like in Peter Jackson's movie. Just going in there and looking at this, and you're like, wow. But then you know, you step outside the tavern and you're back in the garage. You're like, what happened? <laughs> I mean, it, it's amazing with what you guys have been able to do. Well, thank you. Yeah, we we can we can make an old warehouse work for us. It's yeah. good times. Yeah. We have some some great sound engineers who uh get rid of anything that that uh the Shouldn't car's either. going by. <laughs> I've always wondered that. So, you know, in a movie kind of in that fantasy setting because, you know, uh years ago watching like Mystery Science Theater 3000 where you have these old fantasy movies, uh, and there's one that was kind of Conan-esque, and you see this guy, big old buff guy, sword in hand, charging down on the horse to save the princess, and you see guys in the background on ATVs, you know, just zipping by. I mean, do you guys have, how do you deal with those type of complications? We, we, we're busy reviewing the final edit of movie two right now, and uh, we have a list of fixes, like... <laughs> Oh, who's that dude walking by in the background? Oh, our plane going through the <laughs> shot. So in this digital age, we uh, fortunately have the ability to just uh, paint it out pretty, oh, okay. pretty painlessly. Um, it's more a matter of spotting them all than yeah. the hassle of taking them out. But yeah, hats off to those old guys. I don't know how they <laughs> how they managed it. Well, they didn't. You just had to have an ATV in. You there. just yeah. went for now, it. Nowadays, we 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 call a guy named Rob and we say Rob. Get rid of the power lines and the pickup truck. Um, if you if you own or have seen uh, Mythica One or mm-hmm. or are rewatching that, um, you can play. Where's the propane tank? Okay. So um, because because you, you can find somewhere you you may be able to spot. <laughs> that could be a fun. Tank. That could be a fun game. I'm gonna have to watch. It. Yeah, yeah, that's the game. Find the Again. propane tank. Okay. Well, I, you guys have done a really good job with the Mythica thing. Um, you know, as I was telling you off air before we started. My daughter, you know, she's 12. She's she's wanting to get into writing. She really loves uh, the story because it's not a guy that's in charge. You know, you know, we got the Hobbit and Bilbo is this guy wandering around. He met up with these other guys. They're going after a dragon. But this is you know focused uh, around Melody Stone's character. And she and it's and she actually kind of can relate to that character, which is awesome. Uh, and it's a great story. I'm hooked. I want to see more. But it's not coming out fast enough, even though you know we're getting the third one out by the end of this year. You know, I watched that and I'm like, man, when's the second one? Dang it, I still gotta wait. Well, uh, that's why we encourage people to to get in on the on a Kickstarter campaign mm-hmm. because uh, our Kickstarter backers get it first. Nice. Um, we do a lot of updates all throughout, you know, giving them peeks into exactly what's going on with the post production and effects and all the rest. So. Um, it's a great way to be involved in the in the actual uh, process of getting a film out there and and seeing exactly what goes into it. Nice. Um, so yeah, go uh, look for us on Kickstarter on Monday. It's uh, just under Mythica Two. So it starts Monday morning. Monday morning. You can jump on that uh, quickly. Nice. I, have you found that going through Kickstarter has been more successful than trying to go out and you know get people to back you for for that? 
we I, I think a a good size of our of our Kickstarter backers have just come through finding us on Kickstarter. Um, okay. There are, I think it's a valuable resource that way. Um, some of the other crowdfund networks, they have uh, different things that we like about them. Um, but Kickstarter really does have, I think, a, just a group of shoppers. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, you've got shelf space, in a sense, and, and people will come across it. Um, of course, there's a lot of people who find us in all kinds of other ways. But I think we've found that Kickstarter does give us um, a boost there. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically a social network. And so Kickstarter is a great place where we get to interact directly with other fans of the genre. Um, we get to, you know, hear what they're thinking and they get to have their import. And we often throw up things up there like, hey, do you like this or do you think it should be different and get get feedback from them. And so um, I just love uh, speaking with our, our Kickstarter back. Yeah. It's, just, it's just a great way to interact with the people who, in a sense, care most about the product. Nice. And so, and once they back, they kind of have a small say. Even if it's not something you use, they kind of feel like, hey, I'm actually contributing to this film. So that's amazing. Yeah, we appreciate every single one of them, whether it's $1 or $10,000. Yeah. Uh, they all make a difference, and they all are great in spreading the word about the film. Um, I think that's the most important thing about our Kickstarter backers is just how much they share mm-hmm. the product with their friends and relatives and and social networks themselves. So it's a it's just a great way to have people find out about the, the various films. Okay. Now, do you I have do a question. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just curious, what makes you choose Kickstarter over Indiegogo? I think it's the first one we tried. <laughs> um, Good choice. So it's really, our network has been built in Kickstarter, and so... Um, we've never really gone after another social network, uh, 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 social uh, crowdfunding platform because um, Kickstarter hasn't done us wrong. So yeah. you know we've just really enjoyed uh, all our Kickstarter experiences. So I, you know, I, I can't really speak for the others, but we no, like fine. Kickstarter. I think we we uh, um, sure. once upon a time we ran a sort of an experiment with a small project or with something on Indiegogo and. Um, and at the same time, actually simultaneously, we ran it on Kickstarter. It, it was on the very first Kickstarter we did for Crown and the Dragon. Oh, okay. Oh, that's, that's right, yeah. And um, and the Kickstarter took off, and the Indiegogo, I think, was waiting for us to push it, but we literally didn't We didn't post, we didn't tell our moms, we didn't do a thing. It was it was just we were putting a project up there, and uh, and the Kickstarter for kick, you know raised, I don't know, $10,000, and, and wow. the Indiegogo didn't really move. So we, uh, awesome. I think that was it. That's a long time ago. And yeah, Indiegogo yeah. has grown and done so well since then. It might be worth another look. But well, and even after the success of Alan Tudyk and Nathan Fillion with their Conman project, which yeah. I don't think anyone can imagine it going that, get, earning that much money so quickly. Uh-huh. Um, but I guess when you get all the Firefly fans together, yeah, yeah. they make things happen. Yeah. But uh, you know, that, that's actually kind of a really interesting point you had there. You put both of them up at the same time. And the one went, so that's the one you followed. Yeah, back in the day, and I, yeah. I, I don't know what would happen now, but for now we're still on Kickstarter and haven't haven't changed. Well, and Kickstarter seems to still be doing pretty solid, you know, especially with games and stuff like that. So I, I wouldn't see a reason to move, to be honest. No, we don't. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, do you do the the Kickstarter with all of the movies you do, or is it just right now with Mythica primarily? Um, we've done one for every movie we've done since Crown and the Dragon. Okay. Uh, as I say, it's a, we utilize it 
um, as a pre-sales venue and as a way to connect with our fans. So, nice. Uh, you know, we uh, are a self-financed studio, and so uh, all the money that we put into our films, the, the Kickstarter just helps us make them better than we would by ourselves. So. Nice. And I think, I think you know, no other, no other way or time have people been able to engage with an audience during the creative process in the way that that these platforms allow. So, you know, when you're, you really can find out which characters people are loving or which things are are, are going best. Um, very early in the process, and it's not you're not going to the mall and handing out surveys. Mm-hmm. You're getting people who have who have put money down. <laughs> yeah, um, we know they care. We know they they want it, and we know they're the core love audience for for our material. And so nice. we we really do listen um, when someone comes to us through Kickstarter, whereas uh, you know a comment on YouTube or or Facebook is is a lot less useful, and it's a lot lot even if it seems heartfelt, it's yeah. hard to verify. But yeah. uh, Kickstarter really just has tremendous value that way. Nice. So you you brought up a good point. So which of the characters in the movie have kind of been the 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 ones that the that everyone has said is their favorites then? The big follower. Oh boy. Uh, I I think the the beauty of uh Mythica has been um that having very different characters, mm-hmm. you get a whole different group of followers for each. Yeah. Um I think a lot of the press and reviews of the first movie in particular has focused on Tila and Merrick, mm-hmm. um, how unique it is to have a strong female relationship in a mm-hmm. fantasy film. Um, from a personal standpoint, while writing the show, um, I was always drawn to Dagan's character. I really, I really like Dagan yeah. a lot. I love his his arc from from uh, no good vagabond to maybe something a little more and uh he he continues to grow and it's 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 uh, awesome to see in some ways bad people like Dagan um I'm going to point out as kind of makes that comment but uh like people's mothers do not like Dagan he's yeah. a, he's really a polarizing character for people people think what a sleaze bag at times and other people think he gets no, better he, I can see that he has a heart of gold somewhere in there and um and he he does he does get better, but there's no no telling where that's going. Well, so. and I think Jake does a really good job portraying that character because I've I've met Jake. He's a really nice guy, but watching him in that character, I'm like, wow, he's kind of a dirtbag. Yeah. I know he he often came to me at, on set and he's like, really kind of really I have to say this, and I'm like, yes, Jake, <laughs> you do that. He's like, it's terrible for me to do this. Yeah. And I'm like, it's okay, Jake. You'll the come character. through in the end. Yeah. Nonsense. He is the character. <laughs> um. Now, what kind of, I, I guess, hijinks or mishaps happened while you guys were filming? Because I know at one point there was a photo that showed up on Facebook that you had a trailer or something on fire. Yeah, that was <laughs> Melanie's fault. Wow, you said that on no. like to the, to the to no. We uh, we had a, a makeup trailer uh, catch fire, and this. Is not unexpected when you know we filmed in the Utah winter, which last winter, which was particularly harsh, and there yeah. were some days we were filming where it was like minus fourteen, um, and so we had propane heaters all the time. Okay, and in our trailers, even they cranked up the propane heaters, and I believe probably what happened is a heater was left on close to a trailer wall. Uh-oh. And next thing you know, physics kicked in, and someone's boom. like, "Hey, there's smoke coming from the trailer!" And flame on. But word on the set was black magic, and that it was <laughs> Melanie's fault. 
<laughs> yeah, but it's kind of crazy though because there were propane tanks in there, not only from the heaters, but then yeah. from the, the the trailers themselves oh, yeah. have these propane units, and it was still attached to one of our trucks. Oh no! And they all went off, so wow. it was uh, pretty epic and uh, and frightening. And I'm just glad that no one got hurt. Wow! So I mean, do do crazy things like that happen normally on set, or is that just like a once in a blue moon occurrence? I think you have to like propane trailer fires like never before. <laughs> yeah, things Other like things? that. I yeah. mean, you'd have to qualify that. We have everything happen at least once okay. that can happen, and you just have to take a look at it and say, okay, we filmed for sixty days on Mythica on that initial shooting period. Add fifty, so, add 50 days of po- of pre production yeah. at least. But then you've got sixty days of you know fifty to a hundred people being on set. So that's like 6,000 human days. And what happens to someone in 6,000 human days? Well, something bad is yeah, going to happen gonna, yeah. in that period of There's going to be a car crash. Years. There's going to be yeah. people getting sick, really sick. There's going to be wow. yeah. something. Yeah, I think that's right to say. So that's just the easiest way to, to map it out in your head. Say, what happened to me in 10 to 20 years? Okay. That, that will happen on set. That I can understand that then. That, that's that's really not crazy. to mention people haven't slept. Yeah, <laughs> um, people are hurrying. Uh, people are are doing things that you wouldn't normally do in places you wouldn't normally go. Yeah, yeah. So so I think you multiply that by three or four, and then you've maybe well, got it. My 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 most vivid memory of Mythic is actually the very first night we were up at the top of Payson Canyon at about eight thousand feet. It started snowing, and Jason and I were the last two leaving set towing. Uh, a couple trailers as we were pulling out of the parking lot the truck and trailer just started sliding sideways oh, down wow. the slope and was stuck and it's 12 <laughs> o'clock at night and we have no cell service and we're like oh, wow. what are we going Top of a mountain to in the snow. we daisy chained two cars and a gator together which we had and pulled <laughs> for a couple hours wow yeah. and uh you know, got to sit the next morning for 6 a.m. So, you know, that's that's a day in the life of a low-budget movie producer right there. That's crazy. Yeah, the jackknifing and the sliding and the every time we'd, we'd move anything, you'd just see it start to go again. And remember that big stump that it was at that one point just sliding, sliding, and then, oh, it stopped. <laughs> Try again. Because it crushed itself on a stump. Yeah, good times. Wow. We, we packed things under the... Tires of every vehicle there was, and oh my goodness! See, this is the fun stuff you never hear. You just see the movie, and you never see hear the, the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Wow! Yeah. So, and, and again, apparently, even with all of that, you still want to make movies. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I think it's something which uh, you forget how terrible it is to make a movie very yeah. quickly, and then okay. you just think how exciting it is to yeah. tell a new story and to uh, yeah bring new characters to life and and you forget the pain and you're just super excited to to share something new with the world and so it's it's very similar to a woman giving birth where they hate it and all the pain and blah blah never blah. again that, never again they held the baby and then you know a couple months later oh i want another one well i'm not going to compare it to giving birth that'll well, probably like well it almost minimize it, that but, no it, i know. mean it's almost like that because you are giving birth to this movie in a way you're Putting it out there, it's like, it's like a group birth. We'll yeah. go okay. with group birth. It is a yeah. cycle of pain. Yeah, and 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 I think it's safe to say that for us, um, 
it, the development process is the is the first hit, right? Yeah. It's that you know you come out and and it's over and you have this movie and you're happy and it's out there and people are enjoying it and and then you say you know there's this idea and that burns in you until and that's what drags you into the process and by the time you get to production it's too late you have to make it you you yeah. got to finish it you're you got people there you got and and so that carries through itself and then that's over again and mm. and the process begins wow all right so okay so let's move back kickstarter launches monday uh you've got multiple levels people can jump in and now, and not only that, it sounds like you guys. I remember seeing the post. You guys have recently kind of brokered a partnership or a deal that Mythica. You can go see it uh, on Con TV, right? Yeah, we've. Uh, there's a very exciting new service which just launched uh, last month. They called Con TV. You can find them at. Is it Con TV? I think it's. <laughs> wow. Uh oh. <laughs> Ill prepared Oop. here. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> Just look up. If Con you look TV. up Con TV, you'll you'll see. I'm it looking there. it up right now. See what I can. Anyway, find. it's uh, they're a they're a new service which has been launched in conjunction uh, with Wizard World, who runs about twenty to thirty conventions around the country, and Cinedime, who's a very large uh, independent distributor here in the U.S. And it's a network to rival, you know, Netflix and yeah. Hulu, aimed solely at uh, the con audience. And, I think their um, slogan is Hulu for geeks. So yeah. it's it's nice. uh, they 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 cut out the content that isn't that isn't worthy of uh, of genre fans like us, and uh, and that's the idea I think behind it. Yeah, yeah. It, it is contv.com. Contv.com. Yep. Okay, they should grab con.tv too while they add it. Uh, <laughs> the uh, but Mythica is launching as their first. Um, Original movies. So Mythica will be branded as Con TV Original Movies, and you nice. can watch them uh, for free on Con TV. Um, and uh, we've really uh, been excited by this relationship because, uh, you know, this is our audience. This is the people we love. This is the people who understand yeah. what we're doing. And uh, we love to go to the conventions and just meet everyone. We uh, love to do panels. We love to have a booth there and just chat to yeah. as many thousands of people as we possibly can for those few days so we look forward to traveling the country with uh, the various wizard world conventions and just saying hi to people and answering hmm. their questions. and you guys have a really cool setup with your booth space i mean it you make it look like a part of the set you've got a ballista you got all sorts of stuff going. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out how to get the ballista on planes, <laughs> like when we're local or or driving distance. That's that's all good and fine. I, yeah. When it's in Minneapolis, we're, we're wondering like, uh, what to do there. It could be a, a road trip if we can string them together well enough. Then maybe yeah. maybe I won't live in Utah anymore. I'll just be a roadie. <laughs> <laughs> well, does the ballista come apart, or is it all just one in two, two pieces? Together? Oh, only two pieces. Two, okay. Three hundred pound pieces. Two pieces oh, wow. which require two men each. Oh, never mind. The ballista is not coming. Oh, well, it's going it to might. Vegas, maybe. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're, we're going to be at Vegas, uh, Vegas, the Wizard World Con in Vegas on the 20, 24th to 26th. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I think we'll have our ballista down there. And well, that's drivable. Maybe we'll just put it in the big Wizard World semi and say, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> so... Are are you finding a lot of success at conventions where you you bring you're bringing the movies and people are just picking them up? I think 
you know, some some of the things we said about Kickstarter, I think, can be applied to the mm-hmm. conventions. And we sell some of our movies there on on discs, and we're selling digital copies now too. And um, and so we get to meet with and talk, um, and people ask us questions and tell us things, and and we learn about our craft and about our product mm-hmm. and about what gets people excited. So I, I think, yeah, I think the most satisfying thing is you know as we go, you know, Salt Lake Comic Con and FanX, they've been around for you know, a couple iterations yeah. now, and we get people who come, oh, I watched your last movies, I want your new one. Mm-hmm. And that's just really satisfying as a filmmaker yeah. to have people who want more of your stuff because they really like the last one. And so that I think um, we, uh, we're we seeing a, a fan base grow, Good. Um, and that's that's what we love about conventions. You know, and the, another good point about your guys' movie is they're fam- family-friendly. I mean, you don't have to worry about some content being in there that you're not going to like. I mean, I think the closest I've even seen you guys getting is, you know, Dagan shirtless. You know, up in <laughs> up in the, the upstairs room jumping out because the wife is up there. But Depends how you feel about violence, but I think that's <laughs> well, it's it, more or less a true it, statement. If it's a fantasy film, you want to see violence. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. you know. Daniel's put his... Yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're fighting orcs, there's got to be violence. Yeah. You got to, you know, even if you are pulling out machine guns. Yeah, we ju- we definitely try to keep them PG PG thirteen yeah. because, um, you know, growing up as a kid, fantasy was my favorite genre, mm-hmm. um, and uh, there's nothing I love to watch more. And I watched Conan and Highlander and, nice. and all those uh, as a child. And uh, I grew up in South Africa where they censored content, so okay. you know it was kind of okay. Um, and I came here and I watched them. I'm like, oh boy, that's what I watched as a child. Uh, but I think it was a little bit tamer there. But I'm not sure. How do you censor Highlander? Really? Well, <laughs> you got a bunch of people chopping each other's heads off. What well, happened? they left that part. Where does head go? <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. a, one of my favorite movies. You know, Highlander, great. You know, series. John Connery, Christopher Lambert. But oh. Yeah, I was I was a ten year old boy, and my sister, oh, yeah. my sister's boyfriend, my older sister, her boyfriend, brought it round. He got it on, on VHS in England, mm. and it wasn't out in South Africa yet. And we all sat and watched it, and it blew my mind. I'm like, <laughs> this is the greatest movie ever, ever. made. Yeah. Yep. yeah, no, I I love that. You smell like a goat. <laughs> uh, can't go wrong, with Sean Connery. So, wow, huh? Very interesting. Yeah, uh, you guys. Do you guys have any questions? For them, you guys are being very quiet. How is it to see the, your productions out on things like Netflix and this Con TV and that kind of stuff? What's the kind of feeling you get from that? Um, it's 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 interesting. We have a lot of people who who I bump into, and Netflix, I'd say, is one of the most common. Wait a minute, I've seen this movie, and you know, we meet them at the cons or or something like that and they're not expecting to know anything that these indie filmmakers made and and inevitably they've seen something of ours on Netflix um so it 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 feels you know for us it feels like um you give it to Netflix you they pay you a, a small fee and you never get a, a penny again so in a sense you're not you're not cheering on people seeing it no. on Netflix but at the same time it's exciting to have. It turns out that that's a very big audience, and they kind of watch anything that's good that comes on yeah. Netflix. And so, if they have Netflix, which is I think a third of households right now, uh, if they have Netflix, 
and they like this kind of thing at all, they've seen a few of our movies, and so it gives us a a much it gives us a very national presence in that way. So. Yeah, it's such a disconnected audience, though. Like, there's no way to see and comment and um, get any feedback from them. So, uh, you know, we don't really. Uh, understand our Netflix audience. We understand our BitTorrent audience more, yeah. you know, like <laughs> the pirates on YouTube and BitTorrent, they comment a lot. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, in a sense, we almost feel more connected to, to that sphere than to the, the legitimate ones, the legitimate, um, yeah. which is sad. But <laughs> Well, I mean, that's actually kind of interesting that Netflix doesn't provide you feedback because, I mean, there is that star system. You, they could easily report – you'd think they could report back saying – X number of people have two stars or three stars yeah. to at least give you some idea. But no, nothing. I mean, there's just no feedback at all. We don't know how many times it was watched. I mean, again, on BitTorrent, we know, for instance, we have a, a service which tells us, hey, Shadow Cabal got downloaded two million times this week. And you're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> wow. You know, you know something about that. Yeah. And so, you know, it would be great to get uh, better better stats of of the legitimate there's, services. There's a wall in these digital platforms, which is that you have to go through aggregators. I mean, there there are some newer ones that that you know, there's some smaller ones that you don't. But anything that's of any size, you have to go through a distributor, and they at best will give you a quarterly report. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about that is when we do a push, we tell people, hey, our movie just came out on Hulu or or Netflix or something. There's not even any way to gauge. Was there a response? Did people go? There's there's no way to to know that. You just get the next quarter, you get a report. You don't know where those people came from, how they found it, whether you made a difference, and so it it doesn't incentivize us to to push those platforms because it's it's not gratifying to to not know the results ever of what you're doing. Yeah. And I think that's something that's going to change for those platforms in the future. I mean, it's 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 why something like Kickstarter is so great. Um, it's just instant response, instant feedback. Um, they connected di- directly to us and our Facebook, and uh, you know we just love we just love to have that direct connection with the consumer of our product. I'm a little curious too about how you got the name, and the reason I ask is I'm one of the bigger gamers, and I know that there was a Mythica MMO that was supposed to come out in 2004 and was canceled. I don't know if you were familiar with that or how you got your name of Mythica. We uh, we came across it uh, just thinking of words which sounded cool, but it was actually while we were doing our trade trademark and copyright report that we came across the uh, the Microsoft Mythica game, which was canceled. So yeah, that was a uh, independent kind of coming to the same name, but uh, yeah, we discovered that one pretty quickly. When we yeah we were we were looking for a name in a sense that we could brand and and have and have uh, it had to express fantasy uh, had to express uh, we talked about expressing sort of an epic nature but we wanted it to be a word that we could kind of brand and and own for for the franchise for for you know five whole movies we wanted it to be something that that uh, was easily understandable but yet. Um, um, you know, had enough individuality so that when you type it in on Google, we come up. Yeah. And uh, we came across that word Mythica, and then, yeah, found out that it had been used before. It's still a cool name. <laughs> it's a very Thank good you. name. How was it working with Kevin Sorbo? Kevin's awesome. He's, uh, he's a really uh, down-to-earth guy and just really professional you know kevin's there to work and he's prepared to work and he knows his lines 
and he knows his character, and it's really refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he's just a good guy. We like Kevin a lot. He has an incredible ability to to save what I say is save lines or save mm-hmm. script. And when you have like some some of the dialogue, you know, in fantasy films is it's pretty hard to deliver. And if someone can't really give it a sincere read and be and take it completely seriously and, and build that into their character's voice, um, then it comes off terrible and flat and embarrassing. Yeah. And on the other hand, if they can embrace it um, and, and, and deliver it, then then it what I say saves that line. And and uh, Kevin's a master at that. He he has no issues. He gets into the line. He understands it. He asks questions about what he's saying and what the meaning of it is. And then he delivers it 100% integrity. So it's impressive. And, and he's not a diva at all. I I'm just recalling yeah. a, oh, a no. night. <laughs> I'm recalling a night where uh, our our dinner that night it was it was freezing cold. We were up in the canyon somewhere. Mm-hmm. It was miserable. Midnight. And then uh, dinner for that night was hot dogs. And I, <laughs> I just remember Jason knocking on Kevin's door and saying, here's your hot dog. <laughs> and Kevin took it in stride and uh, never mentioned it. And wow. uh, He's just an awesome guy. Yeah. What you actually remember is me coming back to the trailer and saying to you, I just had to go knock on Kevin's <laughs> door and say, Kevin, here's your hot dog. Um, what'd you like on it? I mean, is there... Ever kind of like a a little bit of a fanboy in you where, you know, you're working with Kevin Sorbo, Hercules himself. I mean, that's got to be kind of cool at, at moments. It starts out that way when yeah. you first meet him. There's kind of a, I mean, he's a big guy and he's, yeah. he, you know, he's he's imposing as a, as a person, which is great and, and really does come across in the, in the on screen. So at, the, at first you're feeling that feeling, and then very quickly you've just been working with Kevin for a while, and um, you know he came out on a few separate occasions. Um, so we've we've worked with him numerous times, and yeah. and he's just he's just a really solid character. And he, yeah, he's and uh, he's uh, very independent. Uh, you know, a lot of actors need a lot of uh, coddling and taking care of, and picking up and carrying. Kevin. He flies in, he gets himself a rental car, he says, where do you want me? Where's my hotel? And he takes care of all of that. Oh, wow. And, um, that's, it's just refreshing. He's, yeah. he's a refreshing actor to work with. That's nice. We try to, to, to do better than that, but when it comes down to it, he just is that great to work with. So. Wow. Now, so are we going to see more of Kevin? His character, because we didn't see a lot in the first one. Yeah, his uh, his character um, grows a lot through the series. So uh, just to talk about, I guess, the origins of Mythica. Mythica 2 mm-hmm. actually started out as the first film in the Mythica series. Oh, okay. Um, but as we were developing it, um felt like we needed more backstory, and we really needed this group to get together first. And so Mythica 1 is kind of a prequel to uh, the main story of the okay. series, which is, is Zorlok and the Dark Spore, which is this four chambers of a, the Lich King's heart, which he's trying to reunite. Um, and so, yeah, uh, Kevin's character plays a, a much more central role in um, that storyline. The bigger world picture. Nice. Yeah. yeah, he and Zorlok were old buddies back in the day. Okay. Um to give up a little bit of a spoiler there, but um, I think your listeners can appreciate um, something about that, which is that we what what used to be the first movie um, and the first the original story 
Um, the quest ends in defeating a dragon. Or so, fighting a dragon. Or fighting a dragon, anyway. Yeah. Defeating. Come on. And, the and, dragon. Uh, and, and, and that just, and it, as he said, we felt like we needed a lot more development mm-hmm. before that. Um, and so so the original, the next draft uh, involved, of course, a rat quest, first off. And... Uh, yeah, you don't go you don't go from level one to dragons. No, so we had to build up to that. Nice. So that was that was part of the reason. It was just literally the characters needed to grow mm-hmm. and develop and have that space to do it. Um, and so. Well, I do love the fact you brought kind of a D and D feel to the first movie, where it started in a tavern. I mean, almost every D and D game has started in a tavern, and that's where it started in the movie. And I love that. And that's where Jason and I started too. You know, yeah. we were talking about fantasy movies and we're like you know what how come there's just not D&D on yeah. the screen um and so we definitely uh well and there is and we didn't always like it yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, we had a conversation at uh, FanX about this yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. um but uh, you know we wanted to replicate those role playing game experiences and that's why you know the first movie used to start with a rat quest because yeah. I was like you go to the tavern and Hammerhead tells you, go get some rat tails mm-hmm. or some boar tusks. And you choose some rat tails yeah. instead. Um, and, you know, we kind of, the script kind of evolved a little bit away from that. We also used to have, like, Tila healing them in the middle of battle. Like, oh, I'm dying. Heal me. Yeah. And she, like, heal them right there. And then they'd be strong again. Yeah. Um, and uh, we came a- away from that a little bit because it was a little bit too crazy okay. for a movie. Yeah. Like, it didn't feel yeah. real enough. Um, but we try to keep as many like role playing elements in there nice. as possible. So does that mean Adam's going to get a plus three ring of armor so that he's not always falling down? I love that by the uh, way. He, it was hilarious. He, he dies less in movie two. Awesome. Less. <laughs> well, wait. Let me retract that. <laughs> no, I just love that. He's like the tank, and he's always charging in. He gets, he starts wailing away, and then suddenly it's like he's on the ground. It's like what? Yeah. yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, no, we 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 loved uh, we loved recreating that kind of the D and D experience and all their fights and stuff too. Good, so. that'll be exciting to see. All right, uh, you guys got any more questions? I don't want to keep asking questions. Not off the top of our head right now. Oh my goodness! All right, well we'll just go back to talking then. Okay, uh, before we do that, we're going to take a small break and then we'll come back, uh, stretch our legs, and we will return. So for you two uh, on the other side, uh, mute your mic, and we'll be back soon. All right. Hi, this is Ed Greenwood. You're listening to Dungeon Crawls Radio and Crawl, Baby Crawl. If you come in contact with your infected,
Sorry about that, folks. I uh, kind of hijacked our airways there. Anyways, uh, we'll have to find out what that's all about. Yeah. But, uh, well, yeah, that was crazy. They sent an email last week, and now. So uh, we'll just move on to our the rest of our, our interview here with you guys. So we, we did have a question uh, that came in, and that is the Christmas dragon you guys put together. Is there going to be a sequel? Because, I mean, that was a pretty fun a uh, little Christmas-themed fantasy movie that uh, you probably didn't even think would co- and it would be as successful seems to have got been. Yeah, we uh, we were Christmas Dragon skeptics for a while. Uh, John Lyde, the director and uh, co-writer, he actually came to us with the idea mm-hmm. a while back. And he's like, I want to make a Christmas Dragon movie. And I was thinking, okay, is it Dragon, the wise men bringing baby Jesus dragon eggs or something? (laughs) Like, what is going on here, John? And, uh, you know, as we explored it, I think what really sold us when we realized we're like, Santa is a wizard. We're like, what? And uh, the dragon pulls the sleigh. And we're like, okay, we can actually buy into Santa the wizard, Santa Gandalf, as we like to call him. there's a lot of fantasy in in Christmas uh, yeah. lore and traditions, um, and I guess uh, you know Saint Nick was what fourth century or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know this this goes way back into medieval and and uh, and those times. And and to suggest that uh, you know that there would be Christmas stories to tell then and uh, doesn't you know after once you once you dive in and realize how well that can work um, you realize that it does capture your imagination and you start thinking of elves and saying well elves uh, those could be elves right yeah. <laughs> that is elves are elves well I mean it really works if you think of him as a wizard because he's got this bag that has tons of stuff in it bag of holding. holding yeah, yeah. Um, it and he flies, yeah. It, it, yeah, so, I mean, it's an idea which we quickly warmed up to, but mm-hmm. we just weren't sure if audiences were yeah. going to warm up to it. Were they just going to be like, are you crazy? And everyone would pitch to, like, the Christmas dragon. You would see some blank stares mm-hmm. and, like, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we loved how the film turned out, and I think audiences have loved how the film turned out. We, uh, we've we had a great response. It's a great family film. Yeah. Um, you know, it held, hawks back to the kind of uh, 80s action movies like uh, Willow and... Nice. Um, sort of a Goonies-esque. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a family film. It's kids, and it's yeah. kids out on adventures doing very dangerous things for kids. And um, It's a little bit scary, but kids love that. It's a little bit violent, but kids love that. You know, <laughs> we're sitting in an audience with a, with a bunch of kids. Uh, we had a screening at uh, Jordan Commons. Yeah. Where people brought their families, and it was really funny. I was sitting behind like a whole row of kids, and their favorite parts were like, if a kid was beating up an adult, <laughs> they were cheering like comedy gold, Home Alone. Yeah, that's awesome. Home Alone magic. Um, yeah, I think I think um, part of that fear was that 
w- w- the reactions we got from people, wait, the Christmas dragon, you yeah. know, that that reaction would translate to someone picking up a DVD yeah. and looking at the title and saying, eh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that's the film was not heavily marketed. It was not... Um, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't like it had. It, we had convinced, and everybody had seen the trailer and kind of knew what this was about. People were picking the. You know, it was, it was in stores this Christmas, and people would just take it right off the shelf. And and I don't think their reaction was that at all. It was, oh, my kids will love this. Yeah. Was I think was I think the, the main reaction in the. Um, nice. Yeah. So so we're doing a nationwide release this next Christmas. Okay. Um, it was just a small little Utah release this Christmas, but next year it will be nationwide, and uh, you know we're looking forward. To, to more feedback on it, and as far as making a sequel, oh yeah, uh, we were asked a question. Yeah, we were yeah. asked a question, and uh, yeah, we love Christmas Dragon, and yeah. we we love the world that it's set in, and uh, we definitely want to explore uh, kind of kids' dragon movie a, a lot more. You know, it's 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 the lineup. We do a number of films a year, and there's a lot of great projects and a lot of great stories that people talk about and submit to us and we get asked still all the time about the sequel to um Shadow Cabal, Shadow Cabal or Curse of the Curse of the Shadow or yeah. it has uh, different and we actually have two scripts for that one. Wow. Neither of which have gone into production. Oh, uh, yeah. we're very happy with. So, you yeah. know, that needs work. So, so anyway, and that that's part of it too is that even with a concept um we all know how sometimes the sequel doesn't have the the chemistry and the yeah. magic of the of the original and so we've got to get the story right and get the script right and when it's ready then then we'd love to make another one cuz that one did well for us that's good i i, I kind of like the fact that you're more focused on getting the right story than just oh let's just make more money uh you know there's a lot of things that it's like we see a sequel because like oh it's more money um I'm a huge Transformers fan, but Transformers 2 was horrible, uh, you know, because it was just, oh, let's just get more money instead of delivering a good Transformer movie. Um, so I really like that fact that you guys are waiting for the right script for that. Yeah, I, I think in the past there have been times where we we got so market-focused and we're just a small company with mm-hmm. not much money. And by the way, the way our, our company operates is if, if the film makes money, then we can make another film. Yeah. Um, we're not we're not raising funds independently for every single one except through Kickstarter and that sort of thing, but anyway and and so it's very important that we succeed with the films. Um, but the more we've looked back, the more we've said, you know what, the only thing that we ever regret is not focusing well enough on the story. The mm-hmm. only regrets we have they're they're almost a hundred percent story related. And so over the last year or two, we've really become very serious about that mm-hmm. and. Uh, and and putting that to the front. Yeah, and I think uh I think our our efforts there have shown in the Mythica series. I think people have really got into the characters and the world uh a lot more and I think you know, there's not because we did anything different in production, it's that we did a lot of hard work in pre production. Yeah. We spent um six, yeah, months. six months just every day mm. knocking out that story and then even during production uh, we were knocking out that story it's even more. The first draft was two years before production, and wow. over that time, it, it it went under a few iterations, and then in the very end, it was six months of just steady. We got to get this right. Wow! And so, doing multiple movies back to back makes that. Makes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, okay, so you guys have done a lot of fantasy, science, uh, science fiction with Survivor. Um, 
are you and you know kind of I guess or, Orc Wars would that be considered fantasy or science oh, fiction? Orc Wars is a bridge okay, between bridge. those two, okay. maybe. Are, do you guys ever see yourself doing something else, like maybe a western or a zombie horror movie, or we, even like a, a, we've you know, done a couple or... zombie movies. Okay. Um, they uh, we did uh, one called O Zombie, which is uh, Bin Laden coming back from the dead <laughs> to raise a terrorist army. Um, yeah. We did one called Zombie Hunter. Okay. Uh, with Kevin King. Um, these are usually these are I have projects which Arrowstorm has uh, been the investor in more so than the, okay. than the originator of. Um, and so yeah, no, it's a it's a we do like other genres, but it's you know we're focused on the sci-fi fantasy okay. um, because I think that's where our audience is, and that's also where Jason and I are just happiest. Nice. Now, other question. This is just a bu- this is just me. Will I ever see a four-legged dragon with wings? <sighs> well, and <laughs> this is the Griffins and, versus dragons. Yeah, no, coming, no, yeah. coming no, back at us again. And, and Black, our director of uh, of uh, a few of our movies, she did uh, Dawn of the Dragon's yeah. Lair, Crown and the Dragon, and the first two Mythica films. Her original desire, which we have yet to. Uh, acquiesce to mm-hmm. her is a four-legged uh, Sleeping Beauty dragon. Okay. Like that's what she wants. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think we've always veered b- towards the more pterodactyl, naturalistic dragon. Okay. But I don't know. I I am open to four-legged dragons, but when you actually come into the design phase of them, mm-hmm. they just start to look a little bit like lions. Okay. Fair yeah, enough. we we'll get it right, and I I I feel similarly. I mean, we had a no-legged dragon. Remember the the worm dragon? Um, yeah. You know, so in the de- design phase, we were trying to do something that, as kind of said, felt naturalistic. We said, you know, this we want this to feel kind of real, mm-hmm. and and I love like I'm a big back to Larry Elmore oh, yeah. dragons, and you know, like I I love so much fantasy art, and so that's my picture, but um. You know, when some of the sketches were coming back, we love just sort of the realistic uh, dragon sort of. Uh, even we, we've got them crawling sometimes on wingtips, and it's it's an interesting bat-like uh, yeah. dragon that we've that we've got. Well, and I've see, I think we've seen that quite a bit. You know, we saw it like in Reign of Fire. Mm-hmm. We definitely saw it recently with The Hobbit. You know, uh-huh. Smog is now that that two-legged dragon with the the front legs as the it, wings. Except in that. Except in the theatrical version of the first one, so he was a four-legged legged, dragon. Yeah. You can't Whoa. see him. Yeah. They, yep. yep. He you, was not you, yet designed. You look very closely, you'll see him with four legs. And then yeah. they just decided we got to do what Aerostorm's doing. We can't just <laughs> yeah. we see, can't hey, pull around go. with this. We got to go with what yeah. works. You know, I, I'm a huge <laughs> fan of dragons. I, I will. I'll still watch no matter what. That's just you, I noticed that, that that's kind of the theme is where people are kind of going that way, and you know. We had a whole panel on this at a Comic Con, and we just argued that back and forth. But wow, um, it's it, Dragon it, Slayer's fault. It, yeah, it is. Like I think we yeah. all just love that dragon so much yeah. from Dragon Slayer. It's hard to go back. Oh, I, I agree. But it, it's just really funny how polarized even people that love dragons can be. It's like, no, I I, I can deal with that. No, no, no. It has to be four legs. So it's amazing. Well, let's pick a location. And everybody meet there. You, you wear red if you're two-legged dragon, blue if you're four-legged. We'll have it out. All right. We can do that. It's also, 
bring some cost, you know, some uh, larping weapons and just let him go for oh. it. Oh, okay. It's and hard. Whoever's still standing, that's who gets it. It's hard <laughs> to imagine a four-legged thing flying. I know, I know. It it it, it seems impossible. I mean, when you look at the physics but, of an actual four-legged dragon, it's like how does how does I, that thing work? I don't know. I buy into yeah. toothless. Okay. I like toothless. Yeah, toothless is great. <laughs> yeah. I like that dragon. Who no doesn't? comment. No. The rest of the dragons look really weird to me, but hey, I'm good with toothless and the giant mega dragons. So, <laughs> so all right. So Monday morning, everyone out there can jump on the Kickstarter, contribute, get part of Mythica Two, be part of the process. Your say, you know, in may be taken seriously, it may not, but at least they're listening. Most, I mean, let, let's face it. If you go to watch Avengers 2, you had no say-so in that, but you have a say-so in this. That would be a superhero show. Would you guys ever do one? We count that as science fiction. Okay. So we, we, it's, it's, in the, it's, it's, it's in the bucket. Yeah, All right. You know, Cole Glass, who directed uh, Orc Wars, yeah. uh, he has a superhero concept, which uh, we've been in, talking about for a couple of years. So, nice. You know, maybe we'll, maybe we'll pull the trigger on it one day. That could be fun. I mean, even if it's not like a popular superhero, it could still be fun. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think the 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 struggle there is like so much of the superhero genre is controlled by existing comic books, yeah. things which are beloved already and have a huge fan base. Yeah. So kind of trying to break that with something new and original is is maybe uh, quite difficult. We don't know, but things like Chronicle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was an awesome independent superhero movie right there. Yeah, uh, Kick Ass, but that was a comic. Oh, it's doable. People told us we couldn't make fantasy movies. So. Yeah. Okay. So I don't. I don't think superheroes is harder. Yeah. I'm gonna put that out. Yeah, Jason and I toss back superhero ideas all the time. Very we nice. uh, super villain ideas. Super villain. We have a super villain it's concept, kind of scary. which is it's too scary. Yeah. Maybe too scary to make. Wait. Yeah, and too know. inspiring. We'll have to talk about that. That would be so, super fun. All right. Well, once again, uh, thanks for coming on the show. We yeah. appreciate you guys coming on. Go out, back this Kickstarter. Uh, if you already haven't seen Mythica 1, uh, it's on Con TV right now. Uh, no. 31st. No, 31st. So Tuesday. So Tuesday. Get your Con TV account. So, yeah, go get your Con TV account now. If you're hesitating on Monday, watch it on Tuesday, then jump on on Wednesday. Yeah, that, that works perfectly. You, you can watch Crown and the Dragon right now if you sign yeah. up as a as a warm up to the sort of films we make, and mm-hmm. then uh, check out our trailer for Mythica Two launches tomorrow on Movie Pilot. Nice. So um, watch Facebook for that That's if you the first Mythica Two trailer. Yeah. Limps, so so uh, join the Mythica pilot uh, the Movie Pilot fantasy feed, and okay. it will show up there. So, there, you don't have to go get your Con TV account. But still do it, but watch the trailer, then go jump on the Kickstarter. Because you're, you're not going to regret it. Uh, it's a great series. So, uh, with that, uh, AerostormEntertainment.com is your guys' website. You can go there and pick up any of these movies, uh, which I suggest you do. Um, I have a pile of them at home. Uh, so, so do I. I enjoy every moment of those. I'm a huge fantasy science fiction nut as well. Uh Amazingly enough, I've actually watched your guys' movies probably more than my other ones. It's like, oh, what am I going to watch today? Eh, The Hobbit takes too long. Let's watch this one. 
Yeah. We've got that on them. Yeah, I mean, yep. it's still a really good, solid quality fantasy movie. You know, but you don't have to sit there for three hours on the extended, extended version. You know, that I have for Lord of the Rings. It's like four hours of my life drained away, or I can watch two movies in the same amount of time. And yeah. kids love these. Yes, and kids love these. Uh, my kids were, you know, we got Battles of the Fine Bar. Once the dragon was dead, they were done. It's like, all right, game over. I'm like, there's still an entire movie left. No, that was the cool part. All right. Feels like it's over, Dad. Yeah, I mean, really. We we watched the other two, and then, you know, like the the end of the second one, they're like, that's it? We don't get to see the dragon? Or what? What? I'm like, you got to wait till the next movie. So I finally got the next movie. And as soon as the dragon was dead, it's like, we're done. It's over for us. It's like, there's a no, there's a whole other fight. Yeah, I don't care. The dragon's dead. <laughs> All right. Well, the Christmas dragon's good. Yes. Old times of the year. All right. We'll let them watch that. All right, so go pick up the Christmas dragon for Christmas this year so we can get a sequel to Christmas dragon. Pick up Mythica 2, everything else, these guys. Make it so they can make more movies because they're amazing. So with that said, uh, we're going to take a break and uh, we'll play another song and we will return. Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. All right. One more song here. Uh, we'll play from Jonathan Colton. We'll be back shortly. Anxiety. I get a table and a nice bottle of Chablis. Now it's getting late and there's still no 
felt as good as that would do right now Except for maybe when I think about I felt that day When I felt the way that I do right now Right now I feel fantastic And I never felt as good as that would do right now Except for maybe when I think about I felt that day When I felt the way that I do right now Right now Right now Secret lair on Skull Crusher Mountain. I hope that you've enjoyed your stay so far. I see you met my assistant Scarface. His appearance quite disturbing. But I assure you he's harmless enough. He's a sweetheart, called me master. And he has a way of finding pretty things. Right 
All right, welcome back to Dungeon Dollars Radio. That was a great interview with uh, Kynan and Jason from Aerostorm Entertainment. It's always a pleasure to have those guys on. And I have to say, their stuff is amazing. If you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. Register for Con TV. You won't regret it. It's super family-friendly, and it's really good content. And you know, it's something that your kids can sit in front and watch, and you're not going to be worried about it. It's that, that simple. So... Um, Again, during that that interview, we took a small break. We had some message come across from the super villains. I know we had a an email that came in last week, and then we got hit with this. So we got to figure out what this is. Uh, apparently, they interrupted our show. So uh, sorry about that. Apologize, but uh, this kind of they're 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 doing something weird. I don't know who these guys are, but whoever they are, um, I guess we'll have to find find out. So uh, no more emails. Them? No, no. Did, did, didn't you guys hear the audio that came across? Yeah, I heard that break in where it's all like messed up. Yeah, so uh, kind of interesting. We'll have to figure out what uh, what's going on there. So uh, we got another uh, great interview coming up. Uh, we have Lisa Mangum coming in from Shadow Mountain Publishing. We'll be talking about her to her about books and publishing and all that fun stuff. But you know, while we're waiting, uh, we got we can talk about uh, some. A few things, so um, like player one, like geek news and stuff like that. What what, what did you yeah. say there? Ready player one. So so what is that? Well, you heard uh, Steven Spielberg got picked up to do the movie for Ready Player One. Yeah, I'm super excited all about that. I I love the book. I'm super excited to see what. He'll do with the '80s theme that's covered in the book, and think he's yeah. the right guy for the job. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I think so too. Uh, another thing that's kind of come to light is uh, Idris Elba. Uh, for those of you that don't know who he is, he's Heimdall from uh, the Thor movies. He's also Luther uh, from the Luther series, but he's in talks to play the villain in the upcoming Star Trek movie. Which, yes. That will be amazing. Um, so we'll just have to see. Uh, and again, they're not really saying which character that is because uh, they're keeping that under wraps. But that movie comes out July 8th of 2016, which is going to coincide with the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. It's just amazing that most of these franchises have lasted 50 years. I mean, we have Doctor Who that's made 50 years, James Bond. Now we have Star Trek that's made 50 years. There will be once upon a time in a land far, far away where... We can say Star Wars lasted 50 years, but yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that's going to take a while. 50 years to get them all made. Yeah, it, it took 50 years to get them all made. Nice. All right. Well, uh, we have Lisa Mangum in uh, studio now, talking from Shadow Mountain Books to talk about books and publishing and all that fun stuff. Uh, hold on. The is the mic on? There we go. Unfortunately, we have to talk directly into it. Directly. There we go. We can hear you. Which microphone are you on? Talk one more time. Talk one more time. This is me, Lisa Mango. There we go. I, I'll just turn up a little more. Hey, Lisa. So we we do have two of our guys. Uh, Savart and Scotty are actually up north, so they're just calling in for tonight. Uh, we wanted to ha- bring you in because you know we bring a lot of authors on, and you're also a published author as well. Correct. But no one really hears the publishing side of things, which you have yes. an amazing insight on because you are one of the publishers over at Shadow Mountain. Yes, I am. So... I, I guess my question is, is so the author has finished his book. Mm-hmm. 
how does he get it published or she get it published? Oh, that's the big question. Yeah. Um, Publishing is a really exciting time right now. Mm -hmm. Um, It's always been very exciting to get books out, but I think right now, even more than ever, because of the rise of digital publishing and e-books, authors really have a lot of opportunities and a lot of avenues to get their books published. One of the best ways, of course I'm biased, is to go the traditional publishing route. And that is um, traditionally you would find an agent and the agent would pitch your book to a publisher who would then buy it, hopefully for scads and scads of money. And then um, an editor at that publishing house would work with the author and take it through the publishing process and eventually get it on the shelf. And my role in that very condensed process is Mm -hmm. the editor at the publishing house. So not every author that I work with has an agent. Um, You don't always need to have an agent for regional or mid-range publishers Mm -hmm. like Shadow Mountain is. If you are going to publish in the New York, one of the big five houses, you really do need to have an agent. But uh, my job is to help acquire and edit and polish a manuscript and get it ready for publication. So authors looking to get published from a traditional publisher, first you need an awful lot of patience because okay. it does take a very long time, yeah. um, either to whether you're working with an agent or just directly with a publisher and an editor. It can sometimes take a year before you get an acceptance. Oh, wow. Um, and that's assuming that you're on the path to an acceptance. Um, it could take a year to get a rejection letter as well. Oh, wow. And so you might, and then once you're in the system in publishing, it could take another year before your book is actually on the shelf. So most authors will write something and shop it and then immediately start writing another book. So yeah. they have two or three in the pipeline so that when project number one sells and is in production, they meet, They have other things they can follow it up with. Wow. Um, just for that's the nature of the beast is getting the time involved as well. I never imagined it took that long where it takes almost two years between when you submit and finally something hits the shelf. Yeah, and that's assuming you get an acceptance on your first On your, your first, first go try. around, yeah. yeah. Wow. Now, have you ever experienced where someone has turned something in and you're editing where they just haven't really liked your comments or how you're editing yeah. the story? Yeah, a lot of a lot of my job is public relations as okay. well. I mean, I work with words a lot, obviously, mm-hmm. but I also work with the authors a lot. And so you do have to build that relationship with them and you you get to know their quirks and their likes and their dislikes and how far you can push them and how to how to approach them. Mm-hmm. Some authors that I work with that I've worked with for a number of years, we're really good friends and I can say this part this is dumb. You should fix it. And okay. be really casual and 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 open about it. Other authors that, especially if if I'm new or if they're high profile, it's you might want to consider looking at this paragraph again through a different lens and okay. and and encourage them or persuade them a little bit more than just saying this is dumb. You should fix it. So kind of making them think that oh uh, them that changes it, not really yeah. you pushing it. So it's like yeah. oh hey, uh, maybe I should change that. Yeah, okay. my my job at the end of the day is to be invisible and for the author to come away from the experience feeling like I am the greatest author in the world. I nice. am brilliant. And and so I want them to always feel like it's their decision, it's their work, it's their their abilities that have made the book as as good as it can be. Hmm. And I've been in the the wings helping them along. Now, how long have you been doing this? I've been in publishing since 1997. Okay. Um, I've worked my way up through the ranks. Quite a while. From proofreading and editorial assistant all the way now to being managing editor at Shadow Mountain. Wow. Congrats on that. Thank you. Now, so that that 
Now, has that been a difficult process going from you know the low minion levels all the way up to managing editor? I mean, that's that's huge. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, it, partly because it's taken so much time. It's mm-hmm. been a very gradual growth. Um, mostly, what I find now is I have just have more books that I'm responsible for, and more deadlines that weigh on me than I than I had in the past. Yeah. But it's still the same type of work. But because I'm doing it on different books, it feels new every single time. Okay. Now, do you ever find yourself just dreading reading? Because that's got to be a majority of your job. Yes. I do a lot of reading. I do. I really do three different kinds of reading in my okay. life. I do slush pile reading for work, which are all the unsolicited manuscripts that come in. And those I read quick and dirty. <laughs> Cover page, couple of pages. I'm in. I'm out. I I know if it's something that's worth my time or not. Okay. And so I that is my most critical reading in terms of instantaneous kind of decision. The second kind of reading I do is my actual editorial reading, where I'm working with an author. I read for content. I read for grammar, spelling, the nuts and mm-hmm. the bolts. That's also a really critical kind of reading as well. Um, but those books usually because they've made it to the elevated status of going to be published are usually better mm-hmm. and they're exciting to work on because I know the potential is there. The third kind of reading I do is my actual own reading for joy, okay. which I still I still do. I still read about 30 to 40 books on my own just for fun, just because I love to read. Now and is that per month or per, per year? Per year. Okay, I was going to say, yeah. wow. Yeah, not per month. <laughs> That's about, amazing. Yeah, about every year, that's about how much I average. And I do that in part for a number of reasons. One, to keep abreast of what the trends are, mm-hmm. what other publishers are publishing, you know, what kinds of things are making a splash in the market. But I also do it because I just love to read a good story. Yeah. And when I'm reading for joy, I don't have to – somebody else has already thought about the plot. And somebody else has already looked for so the you typo. So you can shut that portion of your brain exactly. down. Exactly. Nice. I can just go back and – be the reader that I grew up as and just read for joy. Nice. Right, that was going to be my next question. Is you know, it, Can you shut that part down? But it yes. sounds like you can. So you, you talked about that slush reading. How many pages do you need to get in before you know this is a good book? There have been times where um, it's been like two pages, okay. really. I mean, I, I average two to five pages okay. before I make a decision on, yes, I'm going to read more. Or no, this is I'm something I'm going to pass on. Okay. There are some where I know even from the cover letter or the first page that it's not going to work. Oh wow. Um, the other ones, if I get five, if I get five or six pages in, and I think this is something interesting, there's something interesting here. Usually, I'll take it with me on lunch break or and take it home for an hour and just see how far I get. And mm-hmm. if I'm still if I'm still interested, then I'm like, okay, I'm going to read the whole thing. Okay. So that that hook in the very you do that with all genres, or do you have a specific genre that you focus on? I do that for all genres that Shadow Mountain publishes. My own personal passion is fiction, um, young adult fiction primarily, and fantasy. Um, that's what I grew up reading. That's what I like to write. That's what I sort of have an affinity for. But all genres come through me first. So I'll look at picture books, at cookbooks, at business, at biography, at inspiration, historical fiction, romance, mystery, the whole the whole gambit. And a good book is a good book. And good writing always rises to the top, regardless of what genre you're writing in. Mm-hmm. And you can tell good writing um, from bad pretty quickly. I have to wonder, how do you determine what's a good cookbook? I mean, that's got to be tough. It's 
uh, how original the recipes look. Okay. Um, how many, uh, what kind of variety, how complicated the instructions are going to be. Okay. Um, if it's something that, if it's got a unique hook, it can't just be, this is a collection of 100 recipes that I like. No. I mean, you sort of have to say, these are recipes that come from, that will help you with your food storage, or that all are for gluten-free, or, you know, they're specialized in some way. Nice. So that target market will say, this is a cookbook that I need. Okay. I, I didn't expect that you guys did cookbooks. That that kind of threw me for We don't do loop, lots. We do we do one, maybe two a year. Yeah. Um but it's there's a lot of money in cookbooks. Yeah, I'm sure there are. Now and you guys also do children's books as well? We do. Not a lot mm-hmm. of children's picture books. Okay. We do maybe one or two a year. We always do a Christmas children's picture book, like for families. Mm-hmm. Um, but we really specialize at Shadow Mountain in middle grade and young adults. That's where we've got a nice. lot of our work and a lot of our stars have come in those genres. Very nice. Now, I apologize, I'm not, I don't have it listed in front of me, but who are kind of more the well-known authors that maybe some of our listeners have heard of that are, that are published through you guys? Um, Brandon Mole yeah. published his okay. Fable Haven series and his Candy Shop War series with us before he moved on to uh, Simon & Schuster yeah. and Points Beyond. Um, James Dashner also published a uh-huh. series with us. Um, J. Scott Savage published Far World. Okay. Chad Morris has done the Cragbridge Hall series. We've got a new author that just released her first book. Her name is Alima Todd, and she wrote a book called Remake, which is a dystopian, which is fabulous. Wow. Um, uh, we've those, those are some of the ones that we've had for middle grade yeah. fantasy. We also published ages ago a number of books from Ali Condi, which okay. was really fun. And we've also, on the adult fiction side books for adults, I should say. Um, Josie Kilpack, Sarah Eden, Julianne Donaldson are some of our mainstays for our mm-hmm. romance genre. Well, you guys have well. a good stay of authors that have come through. I mean, yeah. especially the Fablehaven stuff. Uh, I don't know a single kid out there that hasn't read that and doesn't love that series, yeah. my kids included. Um, I, I'm a weird reader. I, you know, On paperback stuff, like I don't break the spine of my book. They're very crisp, clean. Mm-hmm. Um, my friends make fun of me for it. I know. Um, I that's how I read yeah. my books. And you you look at my books on my shelf, and they look brand new. Mm-hmm. My kids with their Fablehaven book are obliterated. <laughs> at, you know the it's taped, it's bent, the spine is broken, and I look at it and I just shake my head, and go, oh my gosh. But at the same time, I'm like, I know they're reading it, exactly, I, and they love it. It's gone through all of the kids. And then, you know, it's like the next one gets to that reading level. It's like, oh, I want to read it, and you know, it's passed on to them, mm-hmm. and. I've never met Brandon Mole myself, but and I haven't read the books, which I need to because my kids have been. But there is something magical in that book mm-hmm. that the older kids are saying, you have to read this, which is great. And that, and I love that uh, in in any story. That's what you hope for. Yeah, and that's what authors, all authors and publishers hope for is yeah. to find somebody. The best compliment you can give a book is to tell somebody else about it. Mm-hmm. Say, oh, you have to read it. You have to pass it on. You can tell your kids this fall we'll be doing the Caretaker's Guide to Fablehaven, which oh, is a, a uh, encyclopedic look at all of the characters and creatures hmm. and artifacts from the Fablehaven saga. That, that's interesting. Uh, and, and nothing against J.R.R. Tolkien, or not, uh, oh, what is her name? J.R. Rawlings. Excuse me. I oh, almost, J.K. I, Rowling? J.K. Rawlings. I almost like blasphemed there. Yeah. Um, my kids love reading Fablehaven more than Harry Potter. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have all the Harry Potter movies, or well, we have the movies, but the books, and they sit there, and 
like I said, they're passing down mm-hmm. the Fablehaven, and the Harry Potter just sits there. Sits there. Um, yeah. It does. They'll watch the movie, but not that often. Uh, and they would love to see a Fablehaven movie. So, they we keep talking about it. Yeah. So maybe one of these days it'll maybe. Well, I mean, especially on the screen. A lot of these, you know, middle grade YA movies are really rolling out, especially mm-hmm. Maze Runner, which James Jasner did. Uh, so who knows? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Wow. I'll, we'll be first in line to get tickets now, if, it, if it materializes. Now, are your books published through Shadow Mountain, or yeah. did you go elsewhere? No, my books, the Hourglass Door Trilogy mm-hmm. and the Standalone After Hello, though all four of those were published with Shadow Mountain as well. Okay. Um, when I wrote them, um, let's see, Hourglass was published in nine, so I was writing it in 2007, 2008. Mm-hmm. But nobody at work knew I was writing it. Um, ah. They didn't know me as a writer. It was yeah. something I did at home and did for fun and kind of did in secret. So when I finished the book, only two people at the office knew that I was even working on it. And one of them was Chris Schobinger, who's the product director for Shadow Mountain. And I knew I, I had pitched it to him, and I knew I wanted him to look at it, and he was really excited. And he actually took my name off the submission and ran it through all of the checks and balances and all the hoops so that yeah. nobody would know and be biased for yeah. or against, which was really, really nice. But it also made it really hard at, to be at work as I'd be at lunch and somebody would say, hey, have you read this book, Chris's past?" Hourglass door book. Have you heard of it? And I'm like, yes, I think I have. I have to go back to my desk now. Yeah. Because nobody knew it was my book, and I didn't. I wasn't ready to talk about it until they said yes. Okay. So when they said yes, I knew it's because they really wanted the book. That's nice. It, it wasn't just because it was mine. Now, did I, I'm assuming they had to use another editor. Yes, I yeah. have my own editor, um, Emily Watts, um, who works at the same company, works with the Deseret Book brand. She's my editor on my books. Nice. And she found things that I missed, which is what a good editor will do. Yeah. So is it kind of is it really exciting to have gone through that process where, you know, you had it going circulating around the office where your name wasn't on there, but hearing people being really positive and excited about it. Yeah, it was really exciting because I I was in a writing group and I I was confident in my ability, but mm-hmm. not. I mean, every author has that sort of self doubt that yeah. that feeling inside of oh, nobody will ever read this, but. Hearing people talk about it and and going through that process and getting it published and then the reviews and the awards and things that came after mm-hmm. the publication was really, really gratifying to say, you yeah. know what, I really did tell a good story. I really did have a good idea. I, I made it work, yeah. which was really fun. Well, I think any artist has that self-doubt. It's like, is this really that good? I mean, painters, uh, musicians, anything like that. So, and again, I think that also makes people really human at the same time because mm-hmm. – if you're very oh, this is the greatest thing in the world, you're kind of pompous in a way, and and you've probably missed something. You missed something in the story or yeah. in the painting. So, wow. Now, what are some fun things? You know, because you guys are more focused on the middle grade stuff. Mm-hmm. What are some fun things that distinguish you guys more differently from some, maybe some of the other publishers out there? Well, one of the things that we do for our middle grade authors in particular is we we have a really good uh, marketing and publicity team that helps our authors get into school visits, okay. um, school presentations, which has been a really good thing for us and really how Fablehaven took took root and mm-hmm. caught fire on that where our authors are are in they have a message they want to share beyond just by my book. They're about literacy, they're about creativity, they're about imagination, they're about the joy of kids wanting to read and so we've been able to position our our authors in schools around the country have them talk to three four five hundred kids 
in five different schools a day, you know, encouraging them with this message about literacy and creativity. And then they, of course, come by my book. That helps as well. Um, and so the teachers and the librarians are getting to know us as a publisher who can provide quality content, um, valuable insights, be willing to talk uh, to kids at libraries, that kind of thing, which really helps them, them support what they're doing with the school system and getting kids to read, which is really, really important. We we like doing a lot of bookmarks and T-shirts and book signings and really in, empowering our authors to have them participate in being the champion mm-hmm. for their own book and to talk about their book in such a way that it helps get other people excited about it. Well, and I like the fact that you're kind of targeting the audience, which is the kids, because that's yeah. who you're focusing towards. And, of course, they're going to run home and tell their parents, oh, I met this author, and mm-hmm. this is what he told me about the book. And you know, and then, of course, the parents are going to want, yeah, I want the book. Well, and we've had a number, we've been doing it long enough now that we have a number of um kids who have been at a presentation of mm-hmm. one of our authors with Brandon or Jeff mm-hmm. um, or Chad, who have now years later have said, your presentation was what inspired me to write my own book nice. or, or inspired me to do something, whatever it was that my passion was going to be. Mm-hmm. And I can trace it right back to that event where you you were the first person who told me I could do it yeah. and I believed you. And that, that kind of stuff goes beyond whatever book you write, yeah. that life-changing experience. Well, I, and, I mean, I remember growing as a kid, up as a kid. We never saw anything like that, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I go, I hear about my kids. Oh, this author came in and gave this presentation. I'm like, where was that when I was in school? Yeah. Or, or, or they're they're offering creative writing classes. And it's like, I didn't have that. I had boring old English where I had to write, you know, papers papers on the old man in the sea and you know mm-hmm. Shakespeare. And it's like, you didn't get to read what you want. And now they've kind of yeah. refocused that, which is great. Um, and and they are encouraging kids by bringing authors and stuff like that in to really focus on stuff yeah. they enjoy. So well, and I, we're really spoiled in Utah, especially yeah. to have such a wealth and breadth of authors who specialize yeah. in middle grade and YA, who who are great presenters and great storytellers and are passionate about what they do. Mm-hmm. And you just don't have to scratch the surface very far before you find five or six authors who can come to your school. Yeah, I, I think I can throw a you know just name a few within earshot of living mm-hmm. where we're at right now that live here um and, and you know or you know just go to LTUE mm-hmm. like uh, a few months ago and you will run into all of these authors and and they are local yeah which, and you just like i mean i remember going the first time you're like wait a minute that guy lives here and yeah so it, it is amazing um so, no so going kind of back to the publishing side with the the process um how difficult is it really to get some, your book in front of you guys? I mean, because you said there's kind of the agent, or you don't have to go to the agent, right? Um, since Shadow Mountain doesn't require you to have an agent, it's mm-hmm. actually really easy to submit okay. your work to us. All you have to do, we have a website set up. It's just submissions.shadowmountain.com, and there's a landing page. You fill out your contact information, upload your manuscript, upload your cover letter hit submit and and it's in the queue and I will look at it. So we really have tried to streamline it, make it easy for people to get their work in front of us. Now, on the the one hand, that's really good because Mm -hmm. it's really easy. On the other hand, it means a lot of people submit their work. And so we have a lot to sort through and a lot to sift through. But like I said, good writing always rises to the top. And so it may take a little while, but we do look at every submission that comes in. We do reply either yes or no back to every submission and um, if yours is really, really good, 
then we want to see it. Wow. I, that's impressive that you just go to a page and upload it. Yeah. I mean, we are kind of in that digital age, but you know, just thinking about publishing, it's like, I, I didn't know it was that easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking... You gotta mail it in. It's got to. It's going sitting on someone's desk, and you gotta hope and pray someone opens it. But it doesn't sound yeah, like that. Yeah, that. Those were the days. Yeah. Um, and now most publishers do re- prefer to have submissions either come in via email, an attachment, or through a website, some kind of online mechanism. It does make it a lot easier to to keep track of, to respond to, and it keeps your desk clear of pages and pages and stacks of envelopes. Um, I would say for anybody who's interested in submitting not just to Shadow Mountain but to any publisher, they will have their submission guidelines prominently displayed on their their website. And the best advice I can ever give anybody is to follow those submission guidelines. Mm -hmm. Generally, they will all sort of follow the same pattern, but there will be enough unique specificities to each publisher that you want to find those details out. Because if you submit an attachment when they want it in the body of the email, they will just hit delete. Oh wow! And they won't even open it because they don't want it that way. Yeah. And so you don't want to accidentally get your book tossed in the the delete bin yeah. if if a simple follow the instructions could have saved you. Hmm. That is wow. That's kind of scary. Yeah, you got to pay attention. Got to have the the exact specifications in there. Well, it's the first step in proving you you can follow the directions. Yeah. And a lot of editing and publishing is following directions of fix this, be here, turn it in, here's your deadline, do this. And we want to know if you can follow directions to submit it, you can follow directions to get it published. Okay. Now, you you mentioned the cover letter. Now, Mm -hmm. what has to be in your cover letter? That's a great question. And I actually teach a whole class in various conferences just about cover letters because they are so critical. Mm -hmm. It is the first page that an agent or an editor will see and make decisions about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, a good cover letter really has three specific parts. My friend Pam refers to it as the hook, the book, and the cook, okay. which I love because it's super memorable. Yeah. And so the hook is your one-sentence elevator pitch. My book is about this, and it's mm-hmm. like, here it is. It's what's going to catch everybody's attention, um, make them ask for more. The second paragraph of the book is where you give a, a one-paragraph synopsis of what happens in the story, okay. which sounds really scary and daunting, and it is to distill 80,000 words into one paragraph. But it can be done. Okay. And then the last paragraph is the cook. It's the author. It's a little bit about you. It's your bio, what credentials you have, what else have you published, what makes you an expert in this field, why should we hire you mm-hmm. to be an author for our company. Okay. So I tell people to look at it, think of it as your resume, we want, as a publisher, we want to hire you to be a writer, and then we will pay you in royalties for doing your job, which is writing a really good book. Nice. So with the cook portion, mm-hmm. uh, again, that's a paragraph, or can you go longer on that one? Well, I, if anything, I would go shorter. Shorter. Yeah, because you only have so much real estate, and mostly we're going to buy it based on what the story is, what the book is. Okay. It helps if you are an impressive person, mm-hmm. but... Um, if you're not, if you don't have a lot of credentials yet, if you're a first-time debut author and maybe you haven't published anything, there's nothing wrong with saying, this is my debut novel, please contact me for more information, period. And then you save all of that other room, all of those other words, and talk more about the hook, more about the plot, mm-hmm. more about how awesome your book is. Okay. Because um, it's very rare that we say, well, the story kind of sounds so-so, but my goodness, this person is very impressive. Yeah, yeah. this guy's amazing. Yeah, we want to say, my goodness, this story is super impressive. And bonus, 
the author also has these great qualities. Okay. So that that it does make sense. You, you're focused on the book, not mm-hmm. the person writing it. Okay. Because I mean, if George R. R. Martin hasn't proved anything, I mean, he's not that great to look at, but he writes <laughs> he a good writes story. A really good story. Yeah. Wow. So your let's kind of rewind back to your books, just so you know people can get interested in those. So you have three books out currently. I have four. Four. Excuse me. Four books. I have four novels, and then I've got a collection of of a novella in a an anthology, and then I've also edited an anthology. So the Hourglass Store trilogy is the Hourglass Store, the Golden Spiral, mm-hmm. and the Forgotten Locket. And here's my two-second pitch. It's a love story with a mystery that dates back to Leonardo da Vinci. Ooh. See, everybody does the ooh. And I'm hooked. Just I Leonardo know. da Vinci right there. So it's a time mm. it's a time travel romance, um, and it's uh, my sweet spot is um, girls 15 to 16, but I've had readers as young as 10 and 11 all the way up through high school, college moms, Okay, um, really span the gamut on that, which has been really nice. The first two books won back-to-back Book of the Year awards from huh. Forward Reviews, and book three won the Gold Medal Benjamin Franklin Award from Independent Publishers. And then After Hello is a standalone YA contemporary novel. It's a 24-hour romance that you can read in 24 hours. Sam and Sarah meet in New York, and they just have one day together in the city and find what they need and just make fall in love. Hmm. And that one won the Whitney Award for Best Young Adult um, a couple years back. And then my novella is in a, an anthology called Summer in New York, which are collections of short stories, surprisingly, set in summer in New York. Wow. I mean, imagine that. No and winter story? Not a, well, that's a different <laughs> anthology. Mine was the summer. And then I edited an anthology called One Horn to Rule Them All, a Purple Unicorn Anthology. Sweet. Which was a lot of fun to do. That's actually a really cool name. So we're actually now working on the Red Unicorn story anthology. We're going to call it Game of Horns. Hey, even better. And so I'm working on. I'll be working on that this summer. Wow. So uh, you've got some some really good books. I I do like the Leonardo da Vinci hook that was mm-hmm. in there. I definitely. See hmm. now you're gonna go look it up and read yeah. read the back of the book. And and we got you got the time travel component. Mm-hmm. So any Doctor Who fan or people that like. Time travel will definitely jump in on that, so that's that's great. Now, have you seen a lot of success come from your books? Yeah, I have. It. I mean, you, you can define success a couple different ways. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's the nuts and bolts of yeah. how many books did you sell and how big is your check and that kind of thing. And I've been very blessed to have a lot of people buy my books and, mm-hmm. and pay me for them. Yeah. And and that's been really nice. But the better success that I really take to heart are all the people that come and say, I read this with my mom, mm-hmm. which I really love, especially because I grew up reading books with my mom yeah. or to my mom when she was wallpapering or cooking or knitting or whatever. I just would pick up whatever I had and I'd read to her. And so I have a very special place in my heart for books that bring mothers and daughters together. And I'm really flattered and touched to know that my book is a book like that yeah. and that mothers and daughters are sharing it with each other or reading it together. And that, for me, is is a better success. No, I, I agree. I, I know we've had several authors, you know, like Tracy Hickman or Bob Salvatore and that, that have on there. And, yeah, they've had success, but they said they're, they know they've hit success. Someone's come up and said, you know, this book helped me get through a tough time or yeah. a dark time in my life. And, and I have to agree that that really signifies a good book when someone gets help from that. Yeah. Uh, and books do that. I, oh, I, I There's so many books I can remember just there's a moment where, you know, I'm just, you know, you're down, you're, you're blah, 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 you're reading, and there's just this key moment, and there's like, oh, wait, hey, that kind of relates to me. And then you, mm-hmm. your spirits kind of lift up, and then 
you know, the light comes on or the yeah. sunlight shines through the dark clouds and, hey, life's happy. Yeah. It's why we read and it's why we write mm-hmm. is to, to show ourselves and to show others that it can be done mm-hmm. and it can be survived. And whatever the however bad the journey is, there is the happy ending um, that can be achieved. And we all need that message yeah. once in a while. And however you dress it up and whatever, however you tell that story, readers respond to that in a fundamental kind of nice. way. Now, uh, kind of moving on a personal side, you know, you and your husband are very creative people. Mm-hmm. I mean, are there times where, I mean, that, you know, you kind of butt heads or is that more of like, this is really great where he, you know, his creativity is feeding into yours and vice versa. And it's just kind of bolstering uh, you guys up. Yeah. It's mostly that we don't, we haven't ever collaborated on a project together. Okay. Um, so that has never come into play, but we're both very good sounding boards for each other. And good. so, Tracy, my husband, will come and say, hey, I've got this idea, or what about this? And I've helped on his films. And and I'll run things by him and say, okay, I'm really stuck at this part. What should I do? And and he'll ask the right kind of questions to get me started. And, and, and he'll, he, was, he was instrumental in getting the Hourglass Door book published because when I was under deadline and under missed my deadline, he was the one who would say, you sit and write, I'll make dinner. Nice. And and that so helps supporting a lot. you through yeah. that. that that's great. Uh, and Tracy is a great guy, and I love his food face. I mean, yeah. every photo, it's the same face. It's, the, it's a thing. It is. I don't know. I can't do that. I don't know how. It's like almost perfectly the same face, the finger point, and everything. It's yeah. amazing. He's practiced. It's you know, it, it, it's a talent. It's what he does every you know, <laughs> three to four times a day. Yeah. Um and. and it's really amazing that you guys can soundboard off like that. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I do know some other couples where they really kind of struggle with that. Uh, there might be some competitiveness that comes in, but that's great that you guys can counterbalance and work well with each other. He he's willing to cook dinner while you write. I mean, and I think it helps that we're in slightly different mediums. Writing, yeah. doing film is much different than doing books. Yeah. And so when I say that I help on his films, it's mostly transportation and food services and holding microphones and, you know, the, the behind the scenes kinds of yeah. things. But that, again, it's it's me cooking dinner when he's doing his work. Yeah. And that's been really fun to, to be a part of that and to support him that way and to, to see his movies get made and, and have people respond so positively to them. Yeah. And then you get to be there for when the accolades come out and he gets exactly. all happy and excited and vice versa when your book's up on the shelf. So. Exactly. Wow. All right. So, with Shadow Mountain, you know, it, it is local. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find, because they're not like tour or something like that, do you kind of find that maybe some people kind of, like, oh, it's just a, a middle grade type of a publisher or, or people out there just really, you know, throwing accolades like these, these guys really know what they're doing? Yeah, we are getting more and more well known on a mm-hmm. on national stage. I mean, I think we'll always be sort of a regional mid list publisher, just okay. the nature of of who we are and the number of books that we can do. But for right now, um, for those kinds of things, we really are, people are noticing, people are um, paying attention and they're recognizing the Shadow Mountain brand for what it is. Um, Good quality fiction, inspirational, uplifting nonfiction, um, the kind of family values that we want people to to be able to embrace and encounter. And in fact, um, 
one of our authors that just recently released a book with us, her name's uh, Deborah Litton. She wrote a YA contemporary novel called Silence. She actually found us because she had read one of our proper romances that we had published oh, wow. a couple years before, and she was so impressed with that book and that she started sort of following us and keeping tabs on us. And when she was to submit her book, she told her agent specifically, I want you to submit it to Shadow Mountain. Wow. So that because she wanted us to love it, which we yeah. did and published it. But it just was a, a testament that people are paying attention mm-hmm. and are and are finding us in really interesting ways and bringing us really good books. Wow. That that is interesting in itself. Uh Savart, Scotty, do you guys have any questions? Well yeah, going back kind of a, on the personal note, I mean you're you're an editor, you're a publicist, you like to read about thirty books a year and you write. We where where with how do you fit it all in one day? I'm really well organized, and I'm extraordinarily disciplined. I do my work at work, and I do my writing at home, and never the twain shall meet. And so I'm very, very careful to keep my editing hat on at work, and I just do all my work to the best of my ability as I can there so that when I get home, I can concentrate on the creative part and the writing part. It has taken some time to balance those two things out, um, it's also helped that I've had enough experience in the business that some things that may take that would have taken me weeks and weeks in the past now may only take me a couple of days. Okay. Just because my skills are sharper and my abilities are faster and I'm more capable of taking on more things. Yeah. Um, but I just you just find the time. You just find what's important to you. I write at the dentist's office in the waiting room and I read on the train and. You know, I think about the book when I'm driving in the, in the car, hmm. and it just all those tiny little moments add up. And before you know it, you've you've got something substantial to work with. So there no there are no Lisa clones running around like multiplicity. No, not it. yet. That would make life so much easier. It, it would. Yeah. There's just me. Okay. Well, I mean, with working, I because I could see where people are like it. She's just reading, but it's a lot more than just reading. It is a lot more than because when you're you're reading to see grammar mistakes and like that, it, it's I I have to say it's a lot more mental exercise and yes. uh, focus be- than just generally reading through a book. I mean, do you find that that is draining? It is. It can be very draining, especially if it's a very complicated book or something that needs okay. a lot of attention. I usually. Find I have maybe four, maybe five out good hours of editing in me before I just am like, I'm done. I got to do something else. Okay. I have to think about something else. Because when you read to edit, you have to look at every single letter and every single space and every single word and every single punctuation mark. And you have to see what's not there in addition to what's actually there. Your brain is smart enough to fill in the missing words, that mm-hmm. little ins and is and ats that, that sometimes fall out yeah. of a sentence, and you have to be able to see that it's missing oh, wow. and and tell your brain, don't read ahead of me, read actually what's written on the page. Um, same with um, words that that are spelled differently but sound the same, mm-hmm. you know, or like using there and stare and, and yeah. so forth. Yeah. Or using the wrong form of road. Um, I have one author who, who almost always uses road as a verb, even when it should be road as a noun. Oh, wow. and, and so you have to pay attention and say, okay, if this is a real word and it's spelled correctly, but it's the wrong word in yeah. the sentence. And that does take its toll um, after a little while. But luckily, since I'm work, I work anywhere between 10 to 12 books at any given time, 
at the office, there's always something for me to switch gears and do something else on. So if I get four or five good hours of editing done on a book, then the rest of the day I'm checking corrections or writing copy or checking proofs or going to meetings, and it breaks up my day enough that it keeps me energized to come back the next day and do it. Nice. Yeah, I I, I would kind of find that tough. I mean, I love reading. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if I could break down and go through that like you do because – there would have to be that point where it's like, oh, man, my brain is just like putty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and it, wow. I, with me, I, I, I'm one of those that fill in those words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, okay, it needs to be. Well, I, I think most people are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Their brain's just, you know, I, I, I know there is one sort of, there was something out there that everything was kind of misspelled, but as long as you could see the first couple letters and the last letters exactly. matched, you could read the whole entire yeah. sentence exactly how it was supposed to. So your brain just fills in the rest. It's very, it's a, our brains are very smart, which is yeah. good. Yeah. You just have to slow down. I find if I read it out loud, that slows me down. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if I print it out and do it on paper, that slows me down enough. If it's a really complicated book, I'll do some of those tricks. Now, are you so you're reading these manuscripts on the on computer screen? screen. Mm-hmm. Now, do you find that more difficult than actually holding a book? Because you know, me, I love holding the book. Yeah. Uh, w- compared to you know my iPad. Um, I do all my editorial reading on screen, mm-hmm. and I do all of my reading for fun on a book. Okay. Um, for me, that has helped delineate and sends that signal to my brain to say, this is a book you don't have to think too much about. You nice. can just enjoy because you're holding it. You're actually physically turning the pages and feeling the weight and smelling the pages and all of that. But if it's on screen, there is something that flips in my brain that says, oh, you're editing this. You should look at this differently. So no ebooks for you? No ebooks for me. Awesome. I like that. Uh, I, you know, I get sent books, you know, ebooks to read, and I just I can't do it. It's tough. I have to have that book in my mm-hmm. hand. Um, even when I'm trying to review books, it, I just I have to have it in my hand. I gotta flip the pages. I have to have that that feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, see, I'm just the opposite. Yeah. I used to have to have the hardbound or the paperback. Now I I'd rather do it on ebook. Yeah. Well, everyone's different. Yeah. And that's why when I started, I said that publishing is so it's such a renaissance because mm-hmm. of that very thing. Because there the ebook market is so booming and is growing so much, and and people more and more people are gravitating to wanting to read on their Kindle or their Nook or their iPad that you can you can make a, a, a great impression and a great deal of success yeah. through the ebook in the digital market. Yeah. Well and I do get why people love that so much. I mean it's so much easier to have twenty books on your iPad or your Kindle than trying to lug them in your pack. Mm-hmm. Um it, yeah, it starts weighing a lot. Um yeah, I'm sure you have 50 on your. I've got your, at least 50 yeah. on my phone. Uh, it, it's a lot easier to carry that weight around um, than the books. But uh, you know, and for everyone that loves ebooks, don't you know, stay with that. Uh, that's great for you. Um, and if you love the feel of a book, then awesome for you as well. I, I like the fact that you have that feel where mm-hmm. you're holding a book. Your brain knows to shut off. Yeah. Um, so that's awesome. You guys have any other last questions? Because uh, we're almost out of time. This has gone like flown by fast. Yeah, I'm curious. I was looking through your list of all your different authors, and I'm curious nowadays how much you actually deal with the authors in person because of all the digital capabilities. Uh, it, well, it depends a little bit on where they live. I mean, obviously, a lot of our authors are local in Utah, so we will have them in 
the office or we'll take them to lunch or, you know, we'll see them around in person. We have a number of authors who live out of state and those really where the relationship is entirely built over the phone or over email. Um, there are some authors that I've worked with that I've, I don't know that I may not have ever met in person. Um, and and it's helpful when they're close by to bring in and if there's re- questions about revisions. But that's one of the great things about the digital age as well is all all of my authors are as close as my email inbox. Nice. I, and that one had to be tough with publishing back in the day because it was either you had to call them up or you had to send a letter. Mm-hmm. And those letters could take forever. So email is almost instantaneous. So that, that has to be nice because mm-hmm. you can be chatting back and forth. Yeah. So, all right. Um, well, since we're almost out of time, do you guys have any other questions? I think that's it. I think we're good. All right. So, where can our listeners find your books? Obviously, it's probably Shadow Mountain, but yes, um, my books you can find on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, at your local retailer, um, DeseretBook.com, Book a Million. We try to have them everywhere all the time. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter just at Lisa Mangum. I'm also really active on Facebook, so you can always find me there. Now, that that actually brings up a really good question. Since you're in publishing and you are a writer, do you find more success on Facebook or Twitter? Personally, I find more success on Facebook, but okay. I think that's just because I I tend to find them have the the most comfort level there. Mm-hmm. I'm still fairly new to Twitter, and so I'm still kind of finding my voice there. Of, yeah what to say and how often to say it and how to reply. How to abbreviate this and that yeah. so it fits in the 140 characters. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, social media is another one of those where you find the right platform for mm-hmm. you as an author and then you stick with that. Yeah. No, I, I have to agree. Uh, and It's always going to kind of be the, the that thing because we've had some authors where it's like, no, Twitter. You mm-hmm. know, then you have others it's like, no, it's got to be Facebook. So it's always interesting to find where people lie in that. So, All right, so... Shadow Mountain or Amazon, uh, you did say Barnes & Noble. Barnes & Noble. Yep. Uh, so run out, grab these books. They sound like lots of fun. Um, if you have kids or even daughters interested in reading, go out and pick those up. Or granddaughters. Or, or granddaughters. Or, hey, or even uh, nothing, uh, you know, Haven. We have already talked about <laughs> it. Shadow Mountain's going to love you. Great book series for any kid. Uh, you know, seriously, my kids don't put it down. It's that good of a book. And if they're not going to put it down, I seriously, my daughter comes home from school, sits down, and starts reading. I don't even have to tell her, go read a book. Because, you know, they have to read as far as school. It's automatic. It's like, her book. You know, it's like, you go outside and play. No, i got to finish the chapter. <laughs> I love that. But it's also at the same time kind of frustrating. Um, well, then she might know, be interested to know, although you might not, that Brandon is planning a sequel series called Dragon Watch to the Fable. I, I heard that, and I've already told the kids that, yes. and they were like, oh, are you kidding me? I'm like, no. And I, But he mini- said he would never write again. It even says at the end. I'm, that's how my, my son was like so insistent on that. I'm like, no, I'm serious. He's going to write gonna a sequel. And he's like, how? I'm like, I don't know. Ask him. <laughs> Well, stay tuned. The books will be out next yeah. fall. Awesome. Next fall. I, I'm sure they'll be super excited about that. And it, it, Brandon is one of those authors that his book signings are so massive, he has to rent out a high school gymnasium, yeah. uh, which is not very heard of. Um, but I have to say that just goes to the testament of how well that, that mm-hmm. story is. It, that it enti- I mean, And it's packed every time. I've never gone to one where it's like, 
few people there. Um, so that's amazing. Wow. All right. So I, I, I got to wrap this up, folks. I, sorry we've ran out of time. Thank you for coming on the You're show, welcome. talking Thanks about publishing and your yep. books as well. Uh, find Lisa Mangum on Facebook uh, or Shadow Mountain. Uh, you, I, I apologize. You did have a website, right? Or it's, no? It's under construction under right construction. now. Under construction. So the best place to find me is Facebook, Facebook. or Twitter okay. or my Amazon author page. Your Amazon author page. All my all my information. Yes. In my so book. and you guys don't mind them going to Amazon. I, look, some as, publishers are picky a, about that. As an author. Okay. Sold a sold book is a sold book. Sold book is a sold book. Awesome. So go to Amazon, go to Shadow Mountain, anywhere you want to go, Barnes and Noble, pick up the book. You'll like it. Uh pick up anything else from Shadow Mountain. Uh and you, if you're writing a book, submission yes. dot shadowmountain dot com. Read the guidelines, submit your book. And pay attention to the guidelines. As Lisa said, they want to know that you can follow instructions. Mm-hmm. And hopefully your parents have taught you well. <laughs> All right. With that said, we're out of here. Uh, next week we have uh, Joe Schaefer, uh, Lois D. Brown, and the rest of the uh, Writers Cube group coming on to talk about Teen Author Boot Camp because that's just in a few weeks, which is super exciting. Uh, my daughter is excited to attend that because she wants to be a writer. Uh, so if you have a, a, a teen out there that is actually thinking about that, go check that out because I believe Monday morning uh, spots for that close. Uh, it's going to be held at UVU here uh, in uh the Utah Valley. So if you're local, that's great. Uh, with that said, uh, we'll be back next week. And thank you again, Lisa. You're thank welcome. Thank you, Tynan and Jason, for coming on, talking about uh, Aerostorm and Mythica. And we will catch you next week. Good night, so Lake. Good night, world. And get more from your games. Have a good one. Good night. Good night. See ya. Good night. <laughs>